All right, hello, this is Pat Lynch, and this is the Career Pathways Podcast. Normally, you'd find us in the luxurious basement of the library at Lyon College in the Kilt Radio Studio. But for this podcast, and it's a special one, we are at Dream and Stream Studios in North Little Rock. Say hello, Kelly. Hello. There you go. He's And I highly recommend, if you want, a professional podcast uh, produced. He's the guy to, to go check it out. So we have uh, a podcast today with Victoria Capic, a uh, TV uh, news journalist, uh, just social media expert, and an all-around fascinating person. So we think you're going to really enjoy the show. Thanks a lot. Hello, this is Pat Lynch, and you're listening to the Career Pathways Podcast. As always, I'm joined by my crack podcasting team. Gavin Brunson. And I'm Jason Nichols, the producer. Jason, the producer, as we lovingly call him. And today we have Victoria Capic joining us. Uh, Victoria is based here in Little Rock, has had an interesting career as a TV uh, called TV reporter, TV host, TV kind of newscaster. All of the above. TV, all of the above. TV guru, I guess. TV guru, even better. So with that, we'll just get started. Well, welcome, Victoria. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here, Pat. Oh, man. And now, we always start out to just kind of tell us something about yourself, kind of like where you're from, kind of, you know, uh, how you got from uh, like college to where you are today. Yeah, um, my elevator pathway or career pathway, if you will, um, is I'm from Lawrenceville, Georgia. So that's right outside of Atlanta or kind of northeastern suburbs of it. I say right outside because no one likes to know that you're 35 minutes outside of Atlanta in a really small suburb because that's who cares. Um, But anyways, I, I went to North Georgia Military College down there and I did my undergrad degree in communications, concentrating in multimedia journalism. Uh, Soon after undergrad, I got a pretty fast job actually in my field, which is kind of unbelievable these days. I feel like that doesn't really happen um, as a TV reporter in Duluth, Minnesota. So I made a huge jump from Georgia to northern, northern Minnesota, which was the most climatic shock I could have asked for. Uh, Two winters there was extremely expensive and uh, it really helped me build up that grit, learning how to drive in the snow for the first time as a Georgian. Um, I worked there in TV news at Fox 21 for about a year and a half, made my way down to Arkansas. You said I'm based in Little Rock, which is where I'm still at now. And um, I started working at KTV News, another local station based in Little Rock. And uh, I went from general assignment reporter to host of Good Morning Arkansas in about three months. A lot of that was pandemic based because there was a lot of switching happening during the early years of the pandemic in 2020. And Um, Yeah, so I I was hosting Good Morning Arkansas. I was the live morning reporter. So I spent two years waking up at two o'clock in the morning. I don't recommend it. Um, I finished up that uh, kind of era of my life in early 22. I decided to leave news and travel for a while. Um, I backpacked through Europe for a couple of months. And then I went out to Los Angeles to pursue a master's in arts and culture writing. So I stayed in the path of journalism, but I focused more on print writing. Um, I did that. I I finished and got my master's degree in 10 months. And I moved back to Arkansas, where now I'm doing a lot of independent contracting 
and journalism or storytelling on a smaller scale where I am doing social media, digital marketing, and events, and I guess kind of communications as a whole, if you will. So coming out of like, um, coming out of, you know, Georgia and coming from that type of place, getting right into your field, like soon after graduating, how was that for you? Was that like a surreal experience for you? It was really interesting because <laughs> you say right after and now looking back at the at the time, it took about five, six weeks for me to get that first job. And um, I'm realizing now looking back how soon that really was. But in that five, six weeks that I didn't have a job immediately after graduating, I was like, oh, my God, I am crap. Like, no one is hiring me right now. This is not good. I was really having a meltdown. Um, but as soon as I got that job, it all happened so quickly. You know, they made an offer. And two weeks later, I was already moved up to Minnesota. And, yeah, it, it was really surreal, mostly because it was that first transition into big girl world, you know. And um, it it. School can prepare you for a lot, but it can only prepare you for so much that real experiences really are the only way that you're going to be able to grow in certain aspects. And yeah, it, it took off really quickly from there. Would you say that Minnesotans are more nice than people in Georgia? <laughs> now, full disclosure, uh, producer Jason is from Minnesota. Okay, so you're fishing a little bit there, I see. Um, yeah, Minnesota nice is definitely a thing. Um, would I say they're nicer? I don't know, because you know you there have Southern... There are some rude people there. I, you know, it, when it's that cold, how can you not be a little angry sometimes? Oh, yeah. But people were generally very nice. Mm -hmm. um, nothing beats Southern hospitality, though, I have oh. to say. Do you like the, uh, when, when you were in Duluth, you know, was it kind of surreal to see the the lake the way it was where you're like, oh my gosh, it's like an ocean, you know? I, it, that's exactly how it was. I, I had an apartment that actually was about three blocks away from Lake Superior. And I remember looking out of my window and just thinking, I am actually looking at the edge of the earth right now. Like it mm -hmm. was crazy. And then seeing the whole thing freeze over, there was at one point, one of my stories actually was covering a festival that was happening on the lake during the winter, like deep winter. And so it's frozen over so much that we were able to walk about half a mile onto the lake to go cover this story. And I was like, this is kind of terrifying and also equally very cool right now. But, you know, when you're, you were there uh, and you, you're first reporting now, tell, walk us through like kind of what that really is like. Like, do you have to come up with your own story idea? Then do you, you know, you got to, Get to, do you film it yourself or do you, you know, how do you I mean you were basically like a one person show in many ways yes yeah that's yeah. exactly how it is so they call it like a one-man band or um, what I was technically hired as is an MMJ which is a multimedia journalist and um, yeah a lot of people don't know that especially in smaller markets the reporters are doing a lot of stuff on their own. They expect every reporter to have a photographer come with them doing their hair and makeup and all this. But, um, you know, when I say it was a rude awakening and how fast it really happened is you, you move there and then literally day two, they're like, okay, what are your stories? What are your sources? And I'm like, guys, I've lived here for 72 hours. <laughs> what do you mean right now? Right. Um, but yeah, you, you would go out into the community and it's really important for young journalists to not just report on the community but be a part of it so that you can know what stories you have to tell so you go there you find your stories you come in you pitch them you learn how to use all of the filming gear you have to go set it up yourself you're recording everything yourself you take it back to the studio you write your story you edit your story you record your story you record the video for your story and then you have to present it live and you have to do all of that within about 
five to six hours. Whoa. Okay. Yeah, it's I learned a lot and it was very hard. Um, but I seriously think I'm going to owe everything for the rest of my life on just my few years I spent working in local news because you really learn how to be a machine. Yeah. But well, what was your first big story that you it was like because uh, I'm sure they gave you a bunch of human interest, you know, oh, yeah. kind of stuff in the beginning and then there's like that moment yeah. you had something like wow. Yeah. I don't know if you would call this like a crazy, big, hard-hitting story, but it was the first one that I remember being like, I really want this story. I think that's super cool. And about an hour and a half from my station in Duluth, Minnesota, was the Judy Garland Museum. And it was back in 2018, that's when I started that first job, that um, the the ruby red slippers, I just we're heard you stolen. whisper it, the ruby red slippers oh, were stolen. actually recovered. Oh, yeah, they were recovered. Oh, they, they were, were recovered. Didn't they recover it But they a- were... They like recovered it from like the a river, lake right? or something yeah. like that. And but the Judy Garland Museum is where they were stolen from. And when we're referring to the ruby red slippers, we're talking about the the Wizard of Oz. Judy Garland actually got to wear this pair of ruby red slippers in her role of Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz. And so um, years ago, those slippers were stolen from that Judy Garland Museum. And when we found out they were recovered, I was like, I want to go to the museum. I want to do that. And I remember that being very hard because it being so far away, I didn't exactly have, you know, I lost about three hours of time having to drive out there and drive back. Um, so because of that, I had to, on the drive back, I was basically writing the story in my head. I remember having one hand on the steering wheel, a notepad in my lap and trying to write at the same time as driving. I do not recommend this. Kids do not try this at home. Um, but yeah, I, I was doing that just trying to make sure I would get it in on time. And I remember, um, the video, my final edited video didn't go through until the opening like credits of our newscast was happening. That's how close to the wire I was cutting it. And that was one of the first um, really big stories that I remember doing. And looking back, I, I think I would cringe so hard if I went and watched what I actually recorded. But I'm really proud of it. And that one sticks out to me a lot. Oh, awesome. And and then, uh, you know, you, you're there in Duluth for like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And then what prompted the change uh, to uh, change stations and come to Little Rock? Absolutely. So I actually was wanting to go to grad school already. Um, Mm -hmm. If I could be a lifelong student, um, like actually a lifelong student, not just the expression people say, uh, I would be. I love being in school. Um, I I hope to go get my PhD one day, but um, I was already looking at grad school options because I knew I wanted to pursue something that was a more nuanced focus in theater and journalism. Um, And so I was looking at this arts journalism program that was at USC in Los Angeles And so I had already created a a reporter reel. I put that out there um, all for school. But because I had put that reel out there, I had stations around the country and news directors around the country um, finding it and reaching out to me saying like, hey, I see you're interested in trying to go somewhere else. Um, Would you want to potentially talk to us about coming and working at our station? And I'm always someone who wants to follow an opportunity. I don't want to cut anything off because you just never know what it could lead to. And so um, we had someone from KATV here in Little Rock reach out to me. And um, I was like, wow, that would be a really big jump in markets. So one thing people might not know is um, news markets are based on something called a DMA ranking. Exactly. And it's out of like 210 markets. So, for example, 
New York, New York City is going to be number one because it's the biggest one. You're going to reach the most people. Duluth, Minnesota, where I was, was about 146. Little Rock is about 52. So that was a almost 100 market jump. And I knew that that would have been fantastic for my career. So I heard them out. They flew me out for an interview. And I was like, you know what? School can wait. Thank goodness I, I did wait because the pandemic happened a few months later. And I don't think being in school during that, sorry, guys, would be a very fun situation. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of what prompted the change is I knew it would lead to more opportunities. And I grew more um, during my time in Arkansas personally, professionally, and in every way possible um, than I could have ever imagined. And it was the best jump I could have made. Wow. And so then you're you're here at, in, at KATV. Mm -hmm. How was that job different than, uh, than the one you had in Duluth? Absolutely. So KATV, um, for, for different reasons. Um, so there were more resources at this yeah. station. With it being a little bit bigger, um, instead of doing the MMJ thing, there were actually reporters and photographers that got to be partnered together. Um, remember I told you very quickly I went from general assignment reporter to um, being a host and a morning reporter, which made it a little different for me. I didn't go out and do um, turn stories where I had to get them done in about four or five hours. I would wake up at two in the morning. I would write my stories at like three in the morning very, very early, which would be usually breaking news or, or something that could be covered live. I would drive out there and from five to seven, I would do live news hits wherever I was and for whatever story I was covering. Um, I would come back, I would do a little bit of traffic reporting and then I would get ready to host my show, Good Morning Arkansas at 9 a.m. So it was a very different setup um, than what I had and both of them having different responsibilities. I wouldn't say one was holding more responsibilities than the other, but um, definitely a lot less sleep once I came to Arkansas, which... Different sleeps. So yeah, it's very different. So uh, I remember uh, watching like one of your YouTube videos. About oh. That, a day in the life, right? Yes, yeah, just like, fun. Uh, you know, and it's not all... Everybody just sees like the somebody on screen, but mm -hmm. they don't... What you know, like when you start and everything that it requires to to get there. Mm -hmm. One one thing is you you were a real uh, I'll call it like an early adopter as far as like TikTok and social media. Yes, it's <laughs> real distinctive, or you know, as far as in a market like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I so I I loved doing behind the scenes content on TikTok, yeah. and I think that's a part of the reason I actually gained a following. So. Um, right now, I have a little over 219,000 followers, and most of those were gained during my um, news era, so to speak, mm -hmm. because people liked seeing the raw behind-the-scenes unpolished footage that you didn't get when you would just look at a TV newscast. And um, I, I, people were really just kind of interested in seeing the human side of things. And that's what I really wanted to remind people is that you see what looks like this very professional, polished person on air. But in reality, when I started anchoring at KATV here in Little Rock, I was 24 years old, <laughs> yeah. which is honestly kind of crazy. I do not know why they would put someone so young in charge of big things. But I wanted to remind people that like, I was still a 24-year-old and I was doing this big professional thing, but I, I was still 
wanting to hang out with my friends and, and, you know, doing things that 24 year olds do, which is figuring out what the heck their career is going to be and what their life is going to look like. And, um, people on TikTok really liked that honesty and, um, really got to learn a lot about this industry that I feel like they felt very separated from for a long time. But, uh, but did the station like the TikTok honesty? Well, now you're asking the questions that are definitely more interesting. Let's um, do it. The, yeah, I actually love talking about this because now that I am so separated from news, um, it it feels better. The, the short answer yeah. is no, the station did not like it. Right. Um, in 2020, again, pandemic time, TikTok was still pretty new. I think that there are a lot of people that didn't understand exactly what TikTok was. You know, there was a lot of discourse about it being um, possibly a threatening website, it possibly being owned by Chinese spies and everyone spying on us and, and what have you. And it was known for being the dancing app that young kids were on. And so why the heck is this 24-year-old supposedly professional on this app? What is she doing? What is she exposing? She shouldn't be exposing. And... Um, it ruffled feathers in my station in a way that they didn't, they didn't, they just didn't like it. Um, and I, in addition to exposing a lot of the behind the scenes aspects of news, was very open about um, a lot of things that I think were happening in the industry that deserve to be highlighted, such as why are there less women in the industry? Why are women so ridiculed in the industry? Why are there less people of color in on-air positions? Why aren't there as many queer people being highlighted in these positions? Myself being queer and openly talking about that a lot. Um, And I won't say inherently that my station didn't like me talking about those things. I will say that being in Arkansas and it being a more conservative market, there were audience members that didn't necessarily like it. And news, if anything, is run off of and is successful off of how many views it's getting. So... This unfortunate thing is, is that I was not necessarily appealing by showing behind the scenes aspects on my TikTok to the conservative audience that I think might have been paying the bills at my station. Yeah, so your authentic self is here and you and you have this audience mm-hmm. outside, but then you have the station that wants you to be something else. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and that's uh, – that's, because uh, uh, I um, – well, full full disclosure that uh, Victoria is uh, also kind of a, a a theater kid in some oh uh, yeah. totally a theater kid which and, you know and yeah I know because uh, yeah she uh, shared an apartment with my daughter Robin hello Robin hi Robin yeah so uh, yeah we got to put that in there but uh, you know that uh, I remember Robin tell me even like of like visible tattoos they they were kind of saying yeah yeah that actually caused a whole war funnily enough this is the second time I'm talking about the tattoo story this week because oh NBC actually reached out to me earlier this week to do a story on it and I was like guys this happened three years ago <laughs> what is happening right. um no the the short story to that is I got a beautiful floral tattoo by local artist Andy Vasquez on my shoulder um, and I wanted to show it off on air because why? It's a, it's a beautiful piece yeah. of artwork. And um, I had encouragement from some of my higher ups in the industry who said, we don't think it's a problem. I showed it on air. It was apparently a problem. It pissed off about three people. And my news director and my bosses at KATV basically said, you have to cover it up. I made a little TikTok video about it. And I 
apparently started a war because I had a bunch of young people calling in saying, let Victoria wear her tattoo on air. She's representing us in a way we've never seen someone do before. And I I got suspended for a couple of days. Um, (laughs) I mean, like, it's fine. Not with pay, but it's like, whatever. I got two extra days off to, like, sleep and go drink margaritas. I was not that upset, guys. Um, But at the time, I also had never been known to be um, a rule breaker. I was freaking out. I was literally like, what is going to happen with my career? Um, And kind of these weird incidents like that sort of kept happening where I seem to have been ruffling feathers and I feel like I almost took it upon myself in the rest of my time at KTV to be this boat rocker so to speak where I was trying to show people like hey you don't have to fit this like standard that TV news has been doing for decades you can be something else and still be very successful in this job and in fact you'll probably reach people whose voices aren't being represented properly a lot more than the people who aren't ruffling feathers. Where do you think the change needs to happen? So like, for example, the industry standard, the way it is now, like, where do you think like the change would need to start for it to be more like welcome for people to show like tattoos or people to be queer on TV? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think starting in schools is a really important thing. So what's really interesting is I I mentioned I had just gotten my master's at USC in Los Angeles and I went for a very nuanced form of journalism, arts and culture writing. So that's a lot of critiques, reviews. It's very uh, opinion-based a lot of the time. It's not your editorial journalism that you see in TV news or like local newspapers. And, but however, there were programs that were at USC that were based on your traditional broadcast journalism. And something that I honestly hated was seeing that these professors were teaching the same way that my professors were in undergrad six years ago. I know six years isn't a super long time, but in that period of time, things and apps like TikTok have developed. And the news landscape and the way that people consume this industry has changed significantly. So why are we teaching about Walter Cronkite in 2023? Why are we teaching the same way we were teaching about journalism in 1975? Ed, Edward Murrow guy. You know? Yeah, Edward Murrow, you know? And it, it's not to say that there aren't things yeah. that we need to keep, but I think it starts in our schools because students are getting this window of the industry from these professors that they look up to who are still sipping the same journalism tea that I like to say that I think are outdated. And I think professors maybe need to go back into the world and maybe see how things are being done now, not just by the industry, but by outside industries and bringing that into teaching students at the base level before they go out into their careers and spread it even further. Yeah, because I know news, it's just, you know, it's now, you know, everybody who has a phone is, you know, can, Mm -hmm. you know, capture news in many ways. Oh, yeah. And I, like, some of my favorite reads now are things like uh, Puck Puck News, Mm -hmm. Semaphore, you know, all these things that, you know, um, know, Substack and following blogs. and, And I'm getting a lot of high quality content that way mm-hmm. not when now I have a I read like the, the times and things but of course but it's uh you know it's not that it's this narrow you know it's like the old Cronkite you know three stations and yeah that was that and a couple major newspapers and that's 
That was it. Independent journalism, I think, is what is really sweeping over 2023 yeah. and soon to be 2024. Um, I'm not saying that that needs to be your end-all be-all, but I'm just saying there are a lot of independent journalists. Um, my personal favorite is Under the Desk News, who is uh, on TikTok. Um, I think that they do a fantastic job of just truly giving stories as they are. They're not affiliated with any station, but they get on TikTok and they report the news of what's happening in the world every single day. And I just think that's something that a lot of young people are going to um, be interested in in following moving on <clears throat> because we kind of saw that well we we saw that like in the early days of youtube like where where I, I i know like people like philip defranco they would do like news like that but nobody ever took them seriously like how do you think people need to like what needs to be adjusted for people to start taking like tiktok news seriously because when you think of tiktok you're like oh that's the app that kids use like mm -hmm. how do we change that association with it i think it's a, a way deeper problem than what's just going on with news um i'm very much like the most anti-ageist you could possibly be. I'm like, I think that we should put seven-year-olds in charge of corporations, truly. Because, okay, maybe not to that extreme, but like, <laughs> you guys get the idea. I, um, something I will preach until the end of time is that kids, so, and I don't just mean four-year-olds, I mean like 16-year-olds who are very much smart and have an incredible brain and incredible abilities, but they're considered kids because, well, they are kids because they're not 18. Kids don't just deserve a seat at the table, they deserve a voice. And I think a part of the bias with um, apps like TikTok and consuming things off of TikTok is still that it's a, a child's app, right? That it's a social media app, it can't be taken seriously, but not to sound like every person ever, but just like Facebook and every social media app that was developed early on I just don't think it's picking up. It's picking. I don't think it's picked up steam yeah. from larger groups um, or credibility yet because it's just still, you know, like Facebook early on, Instagram early on. People didn't trust it. They didn't know what it was. Right. And uh, yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm trying to get at is that I just think it needs to to be understood by older crowds first because for whatever reason we don't trust kids mm -hmm. and and tiktok is going to be harder too because a it's not owned by an american company mm -hmm. and b also uh, there's already been so much fire under it in the united states government mm -hmm. like do you think there will ever be a time that we could ever like you know people rely so much especially the older generation on what they see on the news mm -hmm. so when they see tiktok getting dragged through the mud for it sure. makes them never want to touch it right Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, we say TikTok because that's the one in the zeitgeist right now. Like that's the one that we're using and, and seeing. But insert social media app here. I do think that digital journalism and, and social media, quote unquote, journalism is going to be the next wave of journalism um, in the same way that TV replaced print. And and, you know, there are still aspects of it and there will still be aspects of like print journalism, radio, TV, what have you. But digital and social media journalism is going to be the next thing, whether that's TikTok or whatever gets developed specifically for it. So do you do you not think that like TikTok has not or TikTok or like you said, insert social media has not already gotten to that point? Because you can see like older, older communities are starting to look at TikTok now. Like, for example, my dad watches TikTok more than me. Yeah. And so he gets <laughs> most of his information from TikTok, from Instagram. So do you not think it's hidden? hit that pivotal point yet or is it still there's still a process to get there I don't know I think it has been around long enough now that it has probably 
picked up what it's going to pick up. I think it's about that time that something else is probably going to be developed very soon. I don't think TikTok's going to go away, but I think that there's going to be something that comes up for it. I mean, you you see more and more um, video developments happening through like Meta and Instagram Reels. Even Snapchat started like adapting uh, similar situations and stuff like that. And so I think, I, I don't know if TikTok is going to be the one to do it. Um, it, it continues to grow. I can't say I'm a TikTok expert. Um, I'll keep going to it, but that's all I can say for that. Uh, where you are today, mm-hmm. kind of what, what's what's your future plans? What, what what is it that you want to do? Yeah, um, well, that's a great question. I I do not dream of labor. Um, I <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding. I in the past almost two years since I left news. Um, I mentioned briefly, I I backpacked through Europe for Mm -hmm. a little bit of time. I had my eat, pray, love scenario. Um, I went to school. Um, I've fallen in love. I am living with my partner now. And um, since I've come back to Arkansas, I've kind of made this entrepreneurial career for myself doing social media for local businesses, digital marketing, um, organizing events. Like I I just rushed over here from a, a monthly market that I organize. It's like an artist Farmers market, yeah, the one at Petaway, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I every first Saturday of the month, I I run a market over Mm -hmm. there for local vendors. Um, super cute and wholesome. Um, and I have really enjoyed doing that. Um, I I've really found this ability to do storytelling on a more micro level through that. Um, in a way that I actually felt very limited from being able to do in journalism, especially working in. In local news, there were a lot of limitations um, working in local news where I, I think because stations are run by corporations, there's still um, there's still an agenda for them, so to speak. As much as you want to be on bias, it's kind of hard to not be. And I think it kind of stepped away from what journalism was originally supposed to be, which is being a voice for the people. Mm-hmm. You end up being more of a megaphone for government institutions a lot of the time. And I've found in this independent social media work, I've actually been able to be a voice for um, underrepresented groups, which would be queer communities, communities of color, women, um, poorer communities, communities that take up a large population here in Arkansas and in Little Rock and really deserve to be highlighted in a way that they just haven't been. So that's kind of what I, I, I continue seeing myself pursuing well when i hear that victoria what i hear is a future activist is that a Hmm. way of uh you know because you know you 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 have that and you okay i'm going to bring give a voice Mm -hmm. to those who don't have one i'm going to you know just make you know help them with you know whether it's media or any of your other skills is that my in the zip code I wouldn't say no to <laughs> calling me an activist. I, I wouldn't yeah. say that it would be the first thing I would call myself. Okay. Um, I don't know if what I'm doing these days, if you would still consider me a journalist. Um, like I said, I just went and did my studies in culture writing, which I think more aligns in, in what I'm kind of aiming for is just telling the stories yeah. of of the groups who need it most. And technically yes that is an activist (laughs) um in this day and age and if that's what people want to call me i am honored to even be considered a part of that realm um 
I don't know if that's what I'm aiming for necessarily. No, no. With um, telling that story, uh, how how do you do that through their social media accounts, or do you have do you use Medium or Substack mm-hmm. or what? You know what? Uh, what is your? It's I'm sure it's multimedia. Yeah. What are, what's the approach? I'm definitely doing a lot less long form writing um, than I was when I was doing um, local news or or journalism studies, but. I my favorite thing to do is like run a small campaign or like I said, these little one off events I, I I'm doing. So, for example, um, I don't know who here would be familiar with Ayanna Gray. She is an author that is from Little Rock, who um, is the author of the Beast of Prey trilogy. And she's a New York Times bestselling author. Um, and she currently has a partnership with Netflix. Her books are being made into a movie. Um, I met her back in 21. She's been one of my good friends since then. But she, um, she's very passionate about speaking on book bans and fighting against book bans and um, speaking up for education and why young people need to fight back against books that are being banned in educational settings. And I actually connected her with Paper Hearts Bookstore, yeah. which is a small local bookstore in the Petaway Square area here in Little Rock who really wants to be a voice for Um, these underrepresented groups. It's very important for them. And so I connected them in an event called I Read Banned Books, where Ayana came and spoke. And at the time of the event in early August, we had, I would say, up to 100 people attend that event. And that was the biggest event in Petaway Square. It seems really small, but for that area, you've been there. We had about 100 people come attend that event to hear Ayana speak about the importance of fighting against this during a time where, um, you know, bookstore owners and and educators and librarians are all being um, demonized for uh, certain books being on their shelves and what have you. So that's kind of the way I'm doing storytelling this day is, is, is being a relationship builder and a connector and less through my words and more Mm -hmm. through my actions. Maybe I am an activist, actually. Now that I'm saying that, so. <laughs> but you know, at, at Lyon uh, College, a couple of our students at our library created an exhibit of banned books. Wonderful. Proud to you know just to, you know proud to do that, and and in April we have Garrett Conley, who's a Lyon alum that uh, gained notoriety when he wrote uh, the bo- book Boy Interrupted, that became a movie. Oh wow! And the whole thing around conversion therapy and. Uh, wow. And he's, you know, I, 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 it, it, I, it took me a while to track, uh, connect with him, but we got him to, he's going to be speaking April 4th. And the whole thing is, you know, just in this current climate, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was a voice like his, a voice like yours, mm-hmm. and why it's so needed. You know, so that, uh, so I applaud you for that. Yeah. Because, thank yeah, you. I mean, yeah. it, I mean, and it wasn't me. I just, I am naturally good at talking and I guess connecting and, for the first time in my life, I'm actually seeing that as a skill and an ability and yeah. uh, using that to connect people who have a platform and a voice is is super cool and, and really important to me at this time. And I'm really glad I could I, I could do it for something like that. Well, you have uh, to your left a communication major and then <laughs> producer Jason, here's an English major. So kind of writing communications. What yeah. advice would you give to these young men as far as it for uh for careers oh boy um (laughs) as far as careers i am going to 
say two things. The first one is actually, I can't remember his name, which really, really stinks, but shout out to the guy who gave my keynote speech at my master's ceremony graduation at USC. I want to say his name is David, which is just a generic guy's name. Uh, he is <laughs> that a... Guy who said that thing. The guy who said that thing. Uh, he's a chef, and he actually went to school. He told a story about how he went to school for, like, religion, and now he's a chef. And his main piece of advice was, you are probably not going to do the thing that you set out to do. And that is a-okay. Because it's not like you're not gaining wonderful, incredible things from these studies and from these early experiences that you might have. That is not to say don't follow the dream that you currently have. There's a reason you have that dream and there's a reason why you're in the major you're in or the path you're in. But just know that if it changes, and it probably will, let it because that's that's wonderful. And it kind of goes into my second piece of advice, which is follow the opportunities. Um, there are things that are going to pop up in your life that feel super out of the blue, that feel like, why is this happening to me now? This is totally inconvenient for the path that I'm already on. But again, there are reasons that I think certain opportunities come up. And there are a lot of people that are afraid to take opportunities because they think it's going to shake things up. Well, yeah, that's the point. That's when opportunities come up, it's because they're going to shake things up. And you are definitely, and this is like the old man in me that's going to be like, you're going to regret the things you don't do. But like, seriously, you're going to regret the things you don't do. So just take the opportunities. Um, I feel like they've led me to everywhere I've been so far. And I freaking love my life, man. Like I, I feel so proud of what I've been able to do and um, I'm going to keep taking them. And I, I encourage you guys to do that as well. So I don't know if you explicitly said why, but what made you choose communications as a degree? Like what made you want to go that route? Yeah, I actually first went into school as a criminal justice major. Hey, oh, <laughs> weird. Um, I, uh, I went to a military college and criminal justice was like the vibe and I was going to do forensics and I was going to be the head of the FBI or whatever. But I had a professor um, in one of my technical writing classes, which is a police writing class where you actually learn how to take like police reports down. And my professor was like, literally, what are you doing here? Like, this is too easy for you. You need to be doing something creative. Um, I did theater all growing up, as Pat has mentioned. Um, and I found a natural streamline from doing theater growing up using my skill of writing that my professors pointed out and I found journalism from that actually that's how I found communications because I realized um, journalism specifically and I think all communications fields has an aspect of storytelling theater is storytelling journalism is storytelling calm is storytelling the difference between the two is like in journalism and communications you get to see your stories happening in real time. You get to see the impact happening in real time. And um, for me, it came very naturally, I guess, because of, again, that theater kid energy that just lives inside of me. I was able to get up in front of a camera and, and speak, and it, it made things really easy. But that was kind of where I found it. Oh, real good. Anything, Jason? <clears throat> the only other thing I would want to ask, it's kind of, we're, we've kind of already beaten the bush a little bit, but um, every single time we have somebody who gets um, affected by this one particular thing that I love to talk about, which is AI. Mm. Um, 
how do you think AI is affecting journalism? Like for for the like these small independent journalists, and I know like um some big uh, like uh like New York Times has been experimenting with like mm-hmm. writing stuff completely by AI. Do you think that that journalism will completely shift to kind of just like this AI style, or do you think that human nature will always prevail through it? I think that it's a great question that you're asking. That um I personally love AI. Mm-hmm. I use ChatGPT every single day of my life. I am not ashamed to say that. Um, I am not writing full things of anything with AI. I don't think anyone should be just like using AI as what it is and putting it out in the world. Hell no. I think it's here to help us. I mean, in the way that like internet was popping up in Y2K and everyone again was freaking out. Excuse me. I almost cussed. I don't know if I could do that on here. Um, was freaking out, um, over it. Um, it, we ended up realizing it was here for us. And that it could help us. Um, And I think that there are aspects of AI that are going to help make our lives more efficient. That is going to help us a lot um, in in producing good work and and doing things and accurately checking things that we wouldn't have the brain capacity to. And that sounds really bad. Like, I don't mean like people aren't smart and people aren't capable. It just saves us a lot of time. And that makes me sound like I'm some kind of like capitalist wanting to like turn out business left and right. I promise I'm not that. Mm-hmm. But I think that there are a lot of benefits for it helping, especially independent workers on getting as much done as they possibly can. Um, and when it comes to journalism specifically, I can definitely see why that would be spotty on the ethics kind of train. And I think good journalists will always always, always be like quadruple checking their work, right? So this goes back to you can use AI to help you draft certain things, but you should be editing. Mm -hmm. You should be following up with your research. You should be checking every single word that you have and making sure that it's accurate. And um, yeah, kind of rambled about that one a little bit. I I think about AI a lot as well. Yeah. Because like, you read some of these, if you've ever read any of the early test articles, they're hilarious to read, by the way. That's one of my favorite things to do. Like the early, like 2015 when AI was first coming out, yeah. it would be like, the rumor come out, does Bruno Mars is gay? And it's like, <gasps> like how, how how does that, you know, like, and it's like rumor talking about his, and it's like, okay, yeah, there's words being said, but it's not legible at all. And that's kind of right. like what happens with AI, you know, it's like. Yeah, and you kind of get this, like, there's, like, an AI voice where I think I just saw something on uh, Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, recently um, that was, like, dude, did ChatGPT write this? And it was actually, someone actually wrote it, but it just sounded Sounded like that. Like, you know what it sounds like, and you can, like, hear it, and it's, like, no one talks like that. No one writes like that. Or, like... Like talking like they're from like the 1700s because that was yeah. like the type of stuff that it would research. Like that's exactly like that's yeah. what it's able to pull up. Um, yeah. So I, I think like it's a it's a great tool. Never take it as it is. But right. just like I mean, like anything in life, mm-hmm. you should be editing and doing your own work for it. Yeah. We have a, a lot of debate at the college because uh, <laughs> oh, we fac- faculty, uh, ju- yeah, uh, right or wrong, they, they just see AI as a, a quicker, better way to plagiarize. And mm. uh, – yeah, they and it's you know how to shift those attitudes more towards using it as a tool. And I had a, I I got a, a student an internship a micro internship working for a company called HubSpot, mm-hmm. and they uh, and he uh, did two 
projects on creating marketing content using AI. Mm. And it was how to, you know, do, you know, create like a template and a base, modify it, you know, and then put it out as a campaign. Uh, and and uh, I remember when I had this opportunity, I'd go to the, uh, some of the business faculty and that, and yeah, it was, that's, they didn't want to go anywhere near anything with AI, which was, you know, and that's, and I think that's the shift, at mm-hmm. least at the, at the college and university level, where it's like, how do you, how are you going to go and incorporate this as the positive tool that it can be? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think like with anything in life, people get upset with or fear what they don't understand. Yep. So yep. I think the best thing to always do is check it out for yourself and make your own opinions based off of the work that you've done with it. Don't just listen to all the hearsay everyone else is, is saying and doing. All right, Victoria Capic, five years from now, 10 years from now, <laughs> what, where will we find you? Oh my God, I hope overseas. Like, <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're, I, yeah, yeah I, we're... I mean, uh, obviously there's a lot of dependence on that. I, I would love to just gallivant through Europe sure. one day. Um, I, I feel like one of those pretentious people that's like, I went on one trip and it changed my life. But like, I, I went on one trip and it changed my <laughs> life. <laughs> Fair um, yeah, no, I did that backpacking trip through Europe um, for about two months and. I went to 10 different countries and it really, um, it was the most eye-opening and best experience I've ever had to this day. Uh, better than getting my master's, better than any education or work experiences I've had. Uh, it was awesome. And my dream would be to be able to travel. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that means I'm I'm working out there while I'm traveling. I don't know if that means living out there. I don't see that being a thing because I do have a partner here who values her family and, and of course her loved ones here. And so I would never take her from that. But um, I hope that whatever I'm doing, I have the flexibility to not only tell other people's stories, but go make my own. That's what's really important to me is because I think it gives me a really great perspective being able to live my own stories and live my own truth. And I think that's what's going to help me continue to tell other people's stories. And being in arts and culture, culture and mm-hmm. knowing how to provide commentary on that absolutely that worldwide travel would be fascinating yeah and there's a lot more to culture than just what we see in arkansas and in america as we know and it's it's really important to just have those viewpoints and perspectives and and learn through worldly ways rather than just um the educational materials we have um here with us any possibility of seeing victoria capic in front of a camera again I think about it often. Um, I I miss aspects of working in news, um, mm-hmm. and I would love the possibility of, I don't know, hosting my own show someday. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of people who say that. I, I, I would love to do that, um, and I, I really would love to focus on telling the stories and, and speaking to these groups of people who I feel like I've mentioned before, um, especially the young people, because they are it. They are what's next, and um yeah that's all i could say to that in the meantime like catch me making silly dancing videos on tiktok uh because i'm still doing that um and if anyone's listening to this and they're like hey i want to hire this girl please do (laughs) uh, this is a career pathway show not just for no but uh how if they if they wanted to reach you can you tell everyone how to how to do that of course like old-fashioned emails cute um you could Oh, uh, Victoria dot Gray. Let me spell it. V I K T O R I A dot C A P E K 
G-R-E-Y at gmail.com. I'm so sorry. I have a very long name. We'll put it on screen. I'll yeah, please. Screen. Thank you. Um, and then um, social media, of yeah. course, <laughs> if you want to hit me up through TikTok or Instagram, um, it's going to be at Victoria A. Kapek. Um, and I... My whole life is social media, unfortunately. So I am going to see something if you shoot me a message. Um, yeah, I'm always looking for those opportunities. And I, I would love the chance to just speak to anyone who has questions or curiosities about anything. All right. Well, with, with that, uh, you know, we'll uh, wrap it up. Uh, so uh, thank you from, from Gavin, producer, producer Jason, as always. Victoria, thanks so much for Thank being on you. the Career Pathways podcast. And we'll uh, be talking with you next week with another fascinating guest. Thank you. This broadcast is sponsored in part by Lion College and by Kilt Studios.